1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're also going to be in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And most of you notice when I teach, I tend not to jump around to a whole lot of different scriptures because I think it helps keep everyone focused. A lot of times I'll quote other scriptures, but I don't have you turning there. But this morning we are going to be in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 as well as 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and I think that's important. Last week, we, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we heard the Apostle Paul say something that I think is really important and it bears repeating. He said, concerning spiritual things, I don't want you to be ignorant. And that word thing, spiritual things, it might say in your Bible, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. If you notice that word gifts is in italics, it's not part of the original language. Paul is simply saying there, uh, the Greek word there for spiritual is pneumaticos. It means spiritual things, spiritual stuff. And the Apostle Paul is telling the church in Corinth, hey, listen, when it comes to spiritual stuff, I want you guys to be educated. I don't want you to be ignorant about it. I don't want you just to believe what you've always heard. I want, I want you to understand what's taking place here. And just as Paul penned those words to the church in Corinth, because we remember they had all the spiritual gifts. They had all of this stuff that Paul's going to tell us about working within their church, yet their church was a mess. There was a lot of problems that he was addressing, problems like division and and. Uh, sexual immorality within the church and all, they were suing one another. There was all kinds of issues. And now as it comes to these spiritual things, Paul says, listen guys, I don't want you to be ignorant. And I think he would say the same thing to churches today. I think he would say when it comes to spiritual stuff, when it comes to spiritual things, we shouldn't be ignorant towards it. And, he, and by saying it to the churches, he's also referring to the people. In other words, he'd say to us today, I don't want you guys to be ignorant towards spiritual things. And then we look down at verses four through seven in first Corinthians chapter 12. And it says this, it says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So if we were to create sort of an outline of this section of scripture, we would have at the very top spiritual things. And some people would call it spiritual gifts, but they would say, but the general picture is spiritual things. Then underneath that, we would have gifts listed. And we would have ministries listed. We would act, have activities and manifestations. And it's important to remember that these gifts, these ministries, these activities, these manifestations, they're not separate and distinct lists. Instead, there's overlap. So, so you might find a gift in more than one place, or you might find a ministry in more than one place. You might find the way that it's working, and Paul categorizes all of it under spiritual stuff. So when Paul says, I want you to be aware of spiritual stuff, and I want you to be aware of these gifts, ministries, and activities, he's, it all kind of goes together. It all kind of works together. Now, last week I showed you the connection between the passage here in 1 Corinthians and the passage in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 4. If you missed that, you can catch it on the internet or ask Kevin for a copy and he can get it for you. I talked about the same Greek words being used to connect different passages. And this week I want to go back to those passages in Romans and in Ephesians. And I want to look at them in detail so we understand exactly what Paul's talking about when he mentions these spiritual things. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, spiritual things... There's three main passages that, Paul, that Paul's going to use to dis discuss these things with us. Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and here in 1 Corinthians, uh, chap beginning in chapter 12, then on to 13 and, and into 14. So if you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Now for the sake of context, I'm going to begin reading in verse 3, 
but we're going to really pay attention to verses 6 through 8 this morning. So it says this in verse 3, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So in verses 3 through 5 there, Paul's encouraging us not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. Don't think you're better than somebody else because you have a different gift or a different ministry. Don't think you're better than somebody else because God's using you in a different way than somebody else. You know, we're, we're all working together in the body of Christ. We're all accomplishing different things. So as a church, we can accomplish much. We have lots of different parts, and each part has its own purpose. That's what he's saying the people are like. Yes, we're individuals, but together, in, in, and not only within our church, within the entire body of Christ, we make up the body of Christ. Our church only makes up one small part of the body of Christ. There's many other churches that would make up the body of Christ with us. And then looking at verse 6, it says this. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And there in verse 6, Paul begins to tell us that we all have different gifts. There's different things that's, that are, that are going to be given to us. We don't choose our gifts. They're, they're given to us by the Lord. Remember the Greek word there in Romans 12 for gifts is the same Greek word that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. The Greek word is charisma or charisma. Or, or it's where we get our, word, our English word charisma from. It means to give graciously and freely. Now, typically when someone says spiritual gifts, everyone thinks of what? Speaking in tongues. We haven't, did you notice that wasn't in this list? It's not there, okay? It will be there later on in our study, but it's not there right now in this list. The gifts are given by the Lord graciously. They're given freely. I've come to understand that when it comes to these spiritual gifts, these spiritual things, most people really don't understand them. They're ignorant towards them. And the Apostle Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant towards them. Or they're afraid of them. Or they've seen them operate in a way that is ungodly or unbiblical. Or they've seen something that's freaked them out. And they thought, well, that's just plain out weird. You see, my goal, my hope in this study is we, the reason we're going back to 1 Corinthians 12. The reason, I mean Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. Is I want to look at all of the areas together. So this morning we're going to look here at Romans 12. And I want to talk to you a little bit about these gifts. Before I do, listen to what Warren Wearsby said about spiritual gifts. I like this. He said, spiritual gifts are tools to build with, not toys to play with or weapons to fight with. Spiritual gifts are tools to build with. They're not toys that we play with, and they're certainly not weapons that we should fight with or fight over. So let's look at these, this list that Paul lays out for us in Romans chapter 12. He starts out with prophecy. Prophecy. Now, what does this word mean, prophecy? It, it certainly does mean the foretelling or telling the future, but it also has a secondary, just as prominent meaning. It means foretelling or telling forth God's word. Well, it can mean to tell what is coming in the future, as it did in the Old Testament times. Many of the prophets would predict what was happening. It also means the speaking forth of God's word, speaking forth God's word. 
Now, oftentimes, if you know, there's some people who just, who, who've classified the gifts, well, they're miraculous gifts or they're sign gifts and they're not for today. Sometimes people have said that and oftentimes people who believe those things, they've come to the, this gift of prophecy and they just define it as preaching. In other words, someone's preaching, they're prophesying. They've used it synonymously. And that's not really what Paul's meaning here. And it's commonly defined that way, but it's not completely accurate. Let me explain to you why. There's a Greek word for preaching. And there's also a Greek word for divinely inspired speech. Which one do you think Paul's using here? The Greek word for divinely inspired speech. This is something where somebody has a word that's coming from the Lord. It's a word from God to his people or to a person of the Lord. And although good spirit-anointed preaching often comes with a spontaneous gift of prophecy sown throughout it, simply saying prophecy is preaching is incorrect. The gift of prophecy is telling forth of God's message in a particular situation to a particular person or to a particular group of people. Now, let me explain to you how it works practically. Haven't you ever been in a situation? Haven't you ever been going through something in your life where all of a sudden you start to run across somebody, you start to talk to somebody, and all of a sudden they say something to you that you just needed to hear? I mean, they, maybe it's a Bible verse, maybe it's encouragement, whatever it is, it's, it's, like, it's like the Lord just spoke something to you. That's prophecy. That, that's a gift. Of, that's that some, the Lord used somebody to speak to you something you needed to hear. You see, if you've seen it done improperly, maybe you've seen it done where all of a sudden the pastor goes, wait a minute, what's that, Lord? Hang on, guys, I got a word from the Lord coming. Here it comes. All right, there's somebody in a red shirt, and I know that you're going through a difficult... That's nonsense. Why, why does it have to be this made up into this big show? Oftentimes, it's, it's just said with, through common speech. A lot of times, the person that was even prophesying might even know, might, even, might not even know they're prophesying. They're just saying, maybe they're just quoting their verse from their morning devotion. And it's just the thing that you needed to hear. It's just that encouragement that you needed. It also doesn't mean that somebody has to put a title in front of their name. I'm, I'm, from now on, you can refer to me as the prophet Rob. No, that's ridiculous. It just means if the Lord speaks something through you to somebody else, just take it for the Lord. The Holy Spirit did something through you. You don't have to put a title and call yourself something. You don't have to go to a, a school of special ministry and now get a, get a title put in front of you. As a matter of fact, when I run across somebody who introduces themselves or I hear that title in front of the name, it always kind of makes me pause and go, hmm, who are they promoting? Promoting themselves or they're promoting the Lord? Is it the Lord doing the work or is it them doing the work? Let me give you an example Another example, because I think this is important. Sometimes people will come up to me after church and they'll say, hey, that thing that you said, that example that you gave, it really, it really ministered to my heart or it really spoke to my heart. Or, or sometimes they'll even say, how'd you know? You were, were you talking about me? Did, did my husband tell you? Did my wife tell you? You know, no. It, that's the Lord that's just spoke something. And, and oftentimes they'll say, hey, this thing you said, and I'll go back and go, I don't really remember saying that. And I'll even sometimes look at my notes, and it's not really in my notes either. It's just something the Lord said that somebody needed to hear. And I'm convinced sometimes I mess up in my words, and the Lord fixes them from my mouth to your ears. Because sometimes I've been sitting here going, man, I think I said that wrong, but I'm not sure. And I've gone back and listened and go, no, no, I said it right. But see, I think the Lord has a way of doing that. He knows what you need to hear. And if he uses me or he uses somebody else, it's just let, let's not make these things more difficult than they really are. The Lord works naturally supernatural. It doesn't always have to be with the big dog and pony show attached to it. I believe also, well, let me say this. Sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say to me, I have a prophecy for you. I have a word from the Lord for you. 
I have, I have something the Lord has put on my heart to tell you. You know what I do in that situation? I listen. I want to hear it. I want to hear what they might have to say. It might really be from the Lord, but it might not be either. So I want to listen to what they have to say, and I take what they have to say, and I stick it in the back of my head, and I go, you know what? That could be true. You know, it's possible that the Lord's trying to tell me something, and I'm not listening, and he brings someone alongside to tell me the same thing. Or it's also possible that somebody's trying to derail me. You see, here's what I know for a fact. If it's my desire, if it's your desire to seek the Lord, he's going to lead you where you need to go. If you're spending time with him daily, he's going to minister to your heart through his word. He's going to teach you and grow you and show you through his word. He may not need to use somebody to come alongside and tell you something. But usually when it happens in my life, the people that have spoken a, a, a simple word of prophecy have no idea they spoke it. In other words, what usually happens is the Lord's already doing something in my heart. The Lord's already showing me something or, or pushing me in a direction. And someone comes along and says, hey, why don't you do this? You go, how'd you know I was thinking about that? I didn't. And you go, oh, maybe the Lord's trying to encourage me there. Maybe the Lord's trying to get me to step out in faith or something like that. But I also believe that if I'm seeking the Lord, the Lord doesn't necessarily need to use somebody else to speak to me. He can speak to you directly. He can speak to you through his word. That's how he wants to talk to you. All right, the next gift mentioned there, Romans chapter 12. It's ministry. What does it mean, ministry? The word could be translated service. In some of your translations, it might be service. Ministry, service. It's simply serving the body of Christ in practical ways. Have you ever noticed that in a church, there's always a small percentage of the people that do all the work? There's always usually a small group of people that are always there. They're the ones setting up. They're the ones breaking down. They're the ones volunteering. There's the ones there. And there's other people who enjoy what's being done, but they're never really there to help. And you go, why is that? Well, those people that are there, they have the gift of service. They want to serve the body of Christ however they can. They want to make themselves available. What do you need me to do? Do you need me to set up chairs? Do you need me to vacuum? Do you need me to clean bathrooms? What can I do? Can I clean the windows? How can I help? Can I run here? Can I run there? Do you need me to go pick something up? That's the heart. That's the gift of service. It doesn't have to be anything. They're, a lot of times they're not even recognized for it. It's serving. They just want to help, and they're willing to help whenever and wherever they can. Now, that doesn't mean those people that don't want to serve can now say, Ha, ah, I don't have that gift. <laughs> That's not for me. That's for them. They got that gift. You see, we're all called to serve. Some people are just gifted with the ability, and they're the ones that are always serving. You will find that when you get here, there's certain people that are already here. When you leave, those people, they're still here. They're usually the first to get here, the last ones to leave. They're here putting food out for us to enjoy. They're here making coffee. They're here saying, I just want to serve the body of Christ. They've got a gift of service. They enjoy doing it. And it's probably, you'll probably look, if you were to look into their life, it's not just here, it's everywhere. They just want, they serve at home. They just want to, they want to make people feel comfortable. It's a gift that they've been given. Now the next two gifts that Paul mentions there, in Romans chapter 12, are teaching and exhortation. Teaching is the giving of instructions or explaining things to people, and exhortation is the encouragement to do those things that have been taught. Those gifts go together. Teaching is the explaining of something. Exhortation is encouraging someone to live out what's been explained to them. And I know that there's a tendency to say, well, you're the teacher, you're the guy behind the pulpit. No, there's teaching occurs in many different areas. 
The mom that's taking care of her kids is teaching. The children's ministry leaders that are up there, they're teaching. The husband that's leading his family in devotions and Bible study, they're teaching. There's, there's all kinds of teaching. All you're going to see these gifts, there's an overlap. Nobody can just say, well, I don't have that one. That, that's not, nope, that one's not for me. I don't have to teach anybody anywhere, anytime. It's going it's to overlap one with the other. And these gifts of teaching and exhortation, they need to go together. If you have one without the other, it can lead to an unbalanced life. Let me explain it this way. Those who are taught, but they're not exhorted to take the information and do something with it, the information never changes their life. They just become filled with information. They become smart. They become knowledgeable. They need to be exhorted to live out what they're learning. In other words, the information goes in their head, but it never affects their heart. It never changes the way the decisions they make in life. It never changes the choices they make in life. It's just, I become information. And you know these kinds of people. Do you know who they are? They're the ones who have, no, have all the knowledge about the Bible, but they don't live it. I, have all, I can quote verses. I can quote scriptures. I can tell you pastors. I can tell you stories. But you look at their life and go, why aren't you living it? They need to be exhorted to live out what they've learned. But on the other side is true. Those who are exhorted but not taught... They have the opposite problem. They become real excited and real active, but they have no understanding or depth to what they're doing. They don't know why they're doing it. They might do things that are unbiblical. They might become burned out rather quickly. They'll work in ways that, that they shouldn't be working. They, wanna, they, they, they can't get focused because they've been exhorted to live a certain way, but they haven't been taught how to do it. Do you see the difference? The next gift that Paul mentions here in Romans 12 is giving. Giving. Did you know that giving is from the Lord? Giving is from, and I know some of you are going, well, I'm glad I don't have that gift. No, there are people the Lord has given the gift of giving. Why would he do that? Why, why would he give some people the gift of giving? So they can provide financial resources for the body of Christ or for the things that the Lord wants to accomplish. This is above and beyond the normal giving. We're all called to be cheerful givers. We're all called to give to the Lord. But there are some people who just love to give to the Lord. And please don't equate that with a dollar amount. Just because somebody gives to the Lord, it, we don't look at the dollar amount, we look at what it costs somebody to give what they're giving. There's some people who give to the Lord in a way where it leaves them without. And, and you can't look at, see, let me put it to you this way. Let's say that you, this past year, let's say you had a really good financial year and you made a million dollars. And let's say that you go, well, I'm gonna give 10% to the Lord. And you give $100,000 to the Lord, a little bit here, a little bit there, you spread it around and do a lot of good work. What did that really cost you? You lived on $900,000 last year or this year. Anybody have trouble living on $900,000 in a year? I think we could all probably pretty well do that pretty easily. We could get used to that, couldn't we? But what if you only made $30,000 last year or $20,000 and you decided to give 10% of $2,000 or $3,000? That would cost you a lot more than it would for the person who made a million dollars last year. Same percentage, but the cost would be much greater. So we don't equate giving to the dollar amount. We equate it to what it's costing. Some people are willing to do without so they can fund the things that the Lord is working. They just love giving to the Lord. They just want to give to the Lord. They do it cheerfully. They just can't wait to do it. Paul says, if you have the gift of giving, you're to give liberally. Give a lot. Give, give unto the Lord. But do you know what happens if you have that gift and don't give liberally? Do you know what will happen? When someone's called and gifted to be a giver, and they stop giving liberally, they will often see their resources dry up. In other words, you have the resources because the Lord's called you to give them. When you stop giving, why would he continue to give you the resources? 
Most of you guys know, or maybe you haven't, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't take a salary from our church. I don't get paid anything to be here. I don't get paid a, a dime to do it. Don't get me wrong, I get paid in eternity. And that's a place where I store it up in heaven. But I, the reason I'm able to do that is because I'm involved in some businesses down in Florida that are providing financially for my family. The Lord's provided that way for us to, for me to support the family through that and not need to burden the church with a, with a salary to support my family and I. Do you know that I'm smart enough to know that the reason those businesses are doing well is because I'm doing the Lord's work here. Because if I was to quit doing the Lord's work here, I wouldn't surprise me one bit if those businesses started doing poorly. You see, I understand the way the Lord works. Instead of taking from the church, I get to give to the church. So instead of taking financially from the church, I get to give financially to the church. And instead of taking from the church, I get to give my time. I get to give my, my life, my efforts to what I'm doing up here. And the reason I can do it is because of what's happening down there. And I see that the Lord's got his hand in all of it, and it all works together. When someone who's called to give and, is give, and, and stops giving, it doesn't surprise me when their financial resources dry up. I can tell you personally, there's been one time in my life where I stopped giving to the Lord after the Lord prompted me to do so. Rebecca and I were moving from one area of Florida to the next. We went to, uh, we, were, we were moving around. When we got to the new place we were living, we went from church to church to church. We're trying to find a local church. We wanted to go. We wanted to be a part of a church. And we went to different churches. And during that time, I stopped giving at all. I, I didn't mean to. I just, we weren't in a church long enough to really start giving. And I, and I stopped giving. At the end of that year, I looked back. And you know what I found? I found ourselves in credit card debt. For the first time in our life, we've been in credit card debt. I thought, man, this is crazy. How did we get in credit card debt? We, you know, how, how is this possible? What happened? I thought, how did, how did we get behind? Well, the next year we got part of a church and I began giving regularly to the church. You know what happened by the end of the second year? We were out of credit card debt. We, were, we didn't do anything different. We didn't set out on a plan. It was just something the Lord did. And, and I'm convinced it was, I was giving and he was providing. And he does that sometimes supernaturally and miraculously. Now, the next thing that Paul mentions there in Romans chapter 12 is leads or leading with diligence. I like that he puts those two together, that those who have the gift of leading must lead diligently. It's really easy for someone in a leadership position to get discouraged. It's really easy for them to go, you know what, it's just not worth it. It's just, I'm, I'm tired of leading this company, I'm tired of leading these people, I'm tired of leading this family. It becomes very easy, but Paul says, no, no, You've got that gift, you better do it diligently. You better continue at it. You must continue. If you're called to lead, whether it be your family, your company, your business, your employees, here in the church, you must persevere, is what Paul's saying. You have to persevere. And finally, here in Romans chapter 12, Paul mentions the gift of mercy. And he mentions it, mercy with cheerfulness. The person who's gifted with mercy, these are the people that we all like. These are the people that we want around us. These are the people who recognize sorrow, misery, and suffering in somebody else's life. They're the people, these things would go unnoticed by most people, but a person with the gift of mercy, they're going to come sit down next to you and say, what's wrong? You're going to say, nothing's wrong. And they're going to say, no, no, there's something wrong I can tell. You're going to say, nothing's wrong. And they say, no, no, I'm not leaving until you tell me. And you begin to tell them. And they sit there and they cry with you. And they share with you and they help you. It in, it, but it involves much more than just being, being sympathetic or feeling bad for someone. It's this feeling of sympathy put into action. The Christian with this gift of mercy always finds a way to express his or her feelings and concerns in a practical way to meet tangible needs. He or she shows mercy by what they say and what they do. And sometimes it's just by their mere presence. 
You know how sometimes we all get worried about what we're going to say in a difficult situation? A person with mercy, they don't worry about it. They just want to be there. They just want to be around the person. They don't, a lot of times they don't say anything. They're just being there for somebody. They're just being there when it's difficult. They're, these are the people who will just cry with you. They'll give you a hug when you need it. They're there for you. The other thing about this gift, it can't be faked. It can't be faked. You know when someone genuinely cares about you and when they don't. You know when someone's just kind of going through the motions because it's what they have to say. You know that if you've lost a loved one and someone says, oh, I'm sorry for your loss, you know that, oh, yeah, it's okay. They're, they're not really sorry for your loss, but that's what we say in our culture. But you know the person with the gift of mercy comes and gives you a hug and sits there and cries with you, and, and they're right there with you. You see the difference. You can't fake the gift of mercy. But Paul says it has to be done with cheerfulness. It has to be done with cheerfulness, and it usually is. Those with the gift of mercy are happy to be around the one who is hurting. They don't want to be anywhere else. Those without the gift have to be around someone hurting. You know what they're thinking of? How long do I have to stay? What's the appropriate amount of time before I leave? Can I get out of here pretty soon? I got things to do. The, gift, the, the person with the gift of mercy, they're going to be there all day long if they need. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. Whatever you need. They have, they have that special ability just to be there. Who's the greatest comfort in your life? Who's the one person that you want around? That's the person that's going to have the gift of mercy in your life. That's the person that you want there for you. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, it said this. It said, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Those gifts that Paul's referring to, I believe they're right there in Romans chapter 12. That's what we looked at. Then in verse 5, it says this. It says, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. I believe the ministries that Paul is referring to are the standing offices or the positions in the church. We find those offices or ministries listed in Ephesians chapter 4. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. It's just a few books to the right. So the gifts we have in Romans 12, the ministries we have in Ephesians 4. I'm going to pick up in verse 7 for the sake of context, but our focus will really be verses 11 through 12 here in Ephesians. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now notice verse 11 with me. He gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Some people, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, they look at this list and they say, well, apostles and prophets, they're no longer in existence. They were only around for the, to set the foundation of the church. Today, we're left with evangelists and pastors, teachers. Others would look at this list and they'd say, no, that's not true. The apostles and the prophets are still around for today. Maybe they haven't been in operation the way the Bible says, but they're still around. Who's right? Who's right? Well, here's my take on these things, and let's read it again with these very questions in mind. The question that we need to first ask is, 
Why do we have these offices? And look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The next question we ask is, are these offices still in existence, or how long will we have these offices, is a better question. Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Have we reached that point yet? I don't think so. I don't believe we have. So they must be active. But I'm afraid that these offices of apostles and prophets have, been not, portray- have not been portrayed in the proper manner within the churches. They've brought glory to the man. And they have not served to equip the people for the work of the ministry. Like the scripture says here. They're supposed to be equipping the saints and maturing the people in the church. Instead, they've served as positions to wrongfully direct people. Rather than to help people mature in their faith and serve the Lord, they've been positions that have been held high where men have been honored above God or even before God. Let me say this, just so I'm clear. The original 12 apostles had a very, very unique calling. They were chosen by the Lord to begin the church. The very definition of the word apostle means sent ones or one sent out. And I believe there are apostles today, people who have been sent out with the gospel, the gospel message. But I do not believe that the apostles today hold the same authority as the original apostles did. They're different. It's it's a different group. A missionary who goes cross-culture with the gospel could be called an apostle. He's sent out. He's going to a place where the gospel doesn't exist, where it hasn't been heard. And he's setting up churches where there are none. But it doesn't mean that he holds the same authority as the original apostles did. I like to think of it this way. It's easy for me to understand. The 12 original apostles, they were the apostles. The rest of us were the B-apostles. Okay, they're the A-team. We're the B-team. I like to think of it that way. They have, they have an authority and something that we never had. You know what that is? They spent time with Jesus Christ when he walked on this earth. They walked with him from the time of John the Baptist until his death and his resurrection and his ascension. They saw him. Nobody on earth today can say they did that. Therefore, they hold a special place of authority that nobody today can fill. Now, whenever anybody wants to give them the title, they give themselves the title as an apostle. Apostle so-and-so is coming. Apostle so-and-so had this to say. I think that's a little weird. Why do you need to give yourself a title of an apostle? If you're a sent one, be sent. But why do you need to call yourself that? It doesn't really make sense to me. Apostles is how they were known. I can't imagine, you know, Peter and John. Apostle Peter, nice to meet you again. Apostle John, good to see you too. I don't think it was that way. I think it was Peter and John. I think they were on a first name basis when they would talk to one another, when they hadn't seen, when they would write letters. I don't think they were writing back and forth with the title of apostle. It was just the role that they fulfilled of being sent out. I'm pretty sure today nobody alive can fill that role. It's why that I believe and I can say strongly, yes, there are those who are sent with the gospel, but they do not serve the same role or they hold the same authority as the original apostles do. But because they don't hold that authority, I don't think we should say, no, no, there's no more apostles. There's no, they don't exist. I think they do exist. There's people being sent out. There's people, people taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, all different places today, and they fit that role of sent one. And I don't think they classify as the original apostles. What about prophets? 
when it comes to prophets? Is that still an office of the church today? You've seen it advertised. You've heard prophet so-and-so is speaking. Prophet so-and-so is here. Prophet so-and-so is going to be there. Let me say this. Just like with the apostles, the modern prophets do not speak with the same authority as the Old Testament prophets or even the first century apostles did. They brought the first century of the Old Testament brought God's foundational word to the people of God. Today, we have God's foundational word. It's called the Bible. We don't need to expand upon it or give new revelation to it. We have what we need. However, I do believe there are people who will speak special special messages at certain times to God's people. There are people who have an uncanny ability, a supernatural ability, just to speak forth God's word. In other words, they're the people that every time you talk to them, there are Bible verses coming out of their mouth. Every time that you, you, you can't talk to them for more than five minutes where all of a sudden they're quoting a Bible verse to you. Would they, would they fit the bill of speaking forth God's word? I think they would. But do they need to be given a title of prophet and elevated to a certain stature? No, I, I don't think they need to. They don't need that. But God's word is always on their heart. Usually these are the people that every time, you might even get frustrated with them. I'm so tired. Every time I talk to this person, he's quoting the Bible. He's, he's speaking forth God's word. That's a good thing. Maybe you need to hear it. Maybe you should stop getting frustrated and start listening because the only person that would not want you to hear God's word would be Satan. Because God certainly wants you to hear God's word. Sometimes, even after prayer on Sunday evenings, when before we close, I'll ask the group. I said, hey, has the Lord showed anybody anything tonight that you think our group needs to hear? And there'll usually be 15 or 20 of us gathered around. And, and I always ask, did the Lord show you anything tonight at prayer? It's not a time just to speak to speak. I mean, some people like to speak and, and, and that's okay. But this is a time where did the Lord, does, does, is the Lord burning anything on your heart that you think our group needs to hear? And from time to time, and, and off, more often than not, someone will say, yeah, Lord's put a Bible verse on my heart. And they'll share the Bible verse. And then somebody else in the group will say, I needed to hear that. That, that I, I was praying for an answer. I was looking for direction. I was praying for something. And that verse just ministered to me. That's a prophetic word. We don't need to call him prophet. It's just the Lord, the Holy Spirit manifested himself, made himself known in a certain way at a certain time for the people. It doesn't need to be a big dog and pony show with an emotional thing where, hold on, I'm getting a sign from the Lord and we can all, you know, let's wait, let's enter into prayer. It doesn't need to be all that. You see, I found that in my life, the Holy Spirit works very naturally supernatural. And while these gifts, oftentimes we've said they're not for today, I think it's not that we're, they're not for today. We're just tired of watching them being used improperly. And we're, we're tired of seeing them being taken advantage of. The next church office listed there in Ephesians chapter 4 is evangelist. Evangelist. What is that? That's someone who takes the gospel, the good news, and shares it with other people. It's the work of an evangelist to preach and explain the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to those who have not yet believed. Those who don't know the Lord, he's, they're going to share the gospel. He is a proclaimer of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. He's proclaiming salvation by grace through faith alone. Wait a minute, Rob, are you saying that some of us are evangelists and some of, our, some of us aren't? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying, but here's what I want you to know. All ministers, including all people, should do the work of an evangelist. In other words, we all have an obligation to share Christ. We have an obligation to share the good news. But haven't you met the person who that's all they can do? All they want to do is go out and share Christ. They're in the neighborhood. They're, not, they're at work. Everywhere they are, they, they want to share Christ. They look at those, those people that don't go, why aren't you out sharing Christ as much? Maybe you don't have that gift. You share it when the Lord brings that situation across. But you don't have that gift of evangelism. Where that person with the gift of evangelism, they can look sometimes and they can be even critical. 
We need to get out there and share more. We're going to get out there and door knock. We're going to push the church to get out. I had a pastor ask me recently, what do you guys do for evangelism? I said, we evangelize. He said, what do you mean? I go, well, he goes, what does the church do? I go, well, the, the church does whatever the Lord leads it to. He goes, what programs do you have? I said, we don't have any programs. He goes, what do you do in the neighborhood? I go, there's guys that go out all the time in the neighborhood. They knock on doors and they share Christ. Well, how does it happen? I said, it just happens. He goes, well, don't you have like certain days where you guys get together? I said, no. He said, why not? I said, because the people that the Lord moves on their heart, they go do it. There's no reason for me to get, take someone who doesn't have that gift and make them feel guilty because they don't have that gift. So I force them to go out into a neighborhood, knock on a door where they're standing there with their knees knocking. I could never tell anybody about Jesus. And there's other people who go, I can't wait to tell people about Jesus. You see, it's one body of Christ all working together. The person that might not have the gift of evangelism, they're here cleaning the church, making it ready. They don't want to go out there and talk about it. The person that has the gift of evangelism, they're out there. The person with the gift of mercy, they're with the person that has a dying relative or lost a loved one, and they're with them. It's one body of Christ all working together in the way the Holy Spirit leads. And no gift should ever be elevated above another gift. It's what does the Lord have for me? You know, I can look at the things that I do in my life, and while I have parts of these different gifts... I can't then take that and transpose it onto your life. You have to say, what does the Lord have for me? Where does the Lord want me to work? If you have the gift of evangelism, get out there and evangelize. You don't need to get the whole church with you. Just go. Get a few people and go. It doesn't need to be a church-organized event. It just comes naturally for those. The last office that we have listed here in Ephesians is pastor and teacher. And you may wonder, isn't isn't that two offices? You may have even heard it taught that way. Isn't that two offices? The answer to that is no, it's not two offices. Do you see the word some is repeated with each office? Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and it's left out at teachers. By the fact that that's left out, it means that that pastor's teachers is one office. Because it's not repeated, it means that there's one office being held by two different names. A pastor and a teacher is the same office. The pastor and the teacher shepherds the flock primarily, through the, but not exclusively, primarily it's my job to teach the flock what God's word says and how to apply it to your life. Teaching and exhort you to apply it to your life. That's, that's the job of a pastor. F.F. Bruce said this, he said, teaching is an essential part of the pastoral ministry. It is appropriate, therefore, that the two terms, pastors and teachers, should be joined together to note one order of ministry. People have separated it because some people have said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good at teaching, but I'm not very good at being a pastor. Well, I'm good at being a pastor and, and relating to the people, but I'm not very good at teaching. No, pastor, teacher should be one. There might be certain pastors and teachers that have strengths or weaknesses in different areas. That's okay. That would be true about all of us. We all have strengths and weaknesses. We all have differences that we need. You know, we don't like to talk about our weaknesses. We want to we live where our strengths lie. But we all have weaknesses that we have to address and we have to get better at. If there's a pastor who's a good teacher and, and not so good at relating to the people, guess where he should be focusing? On becoming a better pastor. If there's a pastor who's a very good pastor and he's really good with the people, but he's not a very good teacher, guess where he should be focusing? On his teaching abilities and learning to do better at that. Now, again, just so we're clear, why... Are these offices given here in Ephesians chapter 4? Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why are they giving? The purpose of these gifts of leadership is clear. It's so that the saints, so that God's people might be equipped for the work that God's called them to do. 
It's the coolest thing ever when you finally realize that God knows all of us individually and he has a plan for your life. He created you, he designed you, you were birthed, and he has specific things that he wants you to accomplish. But you need his help to accomplish it. He gives you a choice. You can go through this life on your own and, and live however you want and do whatever you want, but you also can look and go, you know what, Lord? I realize I'm not just here so that I can do this job that I'm doing. I'm not just here simply so I can have a family. Lord, what is it that you want for me? And when you reach that point in your life and you go, Lord, what is it that you want for me? And you begin to seek his will for your life, things start to change. You start to change. Your will start to change. I can promise you, I never in a million years thought that I was going to go from being in law enforcement in South Florida to planning a church in Cumberland. Never did those two paths cross. There's no, there's no connection there. There's no way that even fits together. But I did also come to a point in my life where I said, you know what, Lord? I realized that you didn't just create me to be a police officer. You didn't just create me to have a family. There's something more that you have for me. And will you show me what that is? As I set out on that multi-year journey, he began calling me to be a pastor. I began to respond in obedience to it, and it has been an amazing thing. I, I, I never, and I had my whole life planned out. I was going to climb the ladder in, the, in law enforcement. I was going to get promoted. I was going to do certain things. And when it came to that point, and I told the people I was leaving, they looked at me like I was crazy. What do you mean you're going to go start a church? Where's Cumberland? Why are you going up there? That's what the Lord calls. That's what the Lord's calling me to do. That doesn't make any sense in, in the average person's mind. You see, the reason that we have these gifts, the reason that we have these ministries is to equip the saints. That's you guys. That's you. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. When you guys grab hold of the spiritual gifts and the spiritual things the Lord has given you, and you allow him to work through you naturally, supernatural. I know you think well, those words don't go together. They really do when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He allows to work through you the whole body of Christ is built up. And you might think, well, how's that work? Well, just think about what we've accomplished here in Calvary Chapel, Cumberland. Think about our radio station. Our radio station is ministering to the entire body of Christ. All of them. It's ministering to people that will never come to our church. It's okay. They have churches. We don't need them. No, we don't, not that we don't care about them, but they have churches. But we're ministering to a whole group of people that will never set foot in these doors. And that's wonderful. We're building up the entire body of Christ because we've got these gifts in operation here. You see, too often they're made weird. They're made strange. They're made to put on a pedestal and just let the Lord work. Let the Lord do what he's going to do in your life and you'll be amazed by it. But you have to respond in obedience. How long will these gifts be around? Look at verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The purpose of these gifts, it's so clear. It's to build up the body of Christ. How long will they be around? I don't think they've gone away. I think they're still here, although I think they've been used and portrayed improperly. Pastor Chuck Smith said this. He said this about the church. The primary purpose of the church isn't to convert sinners to Christianity, but to perfect. That means to complete and mature the saints for the ministry and the edification of the body. The primary purpose of our church, yes, it's to get people saved, but the primary purpose is to get you guys to grow up in the Lord to grow up, to become mature believers, to become mature Christians. And I get the privilege of sitting and looking out over our congregation. I know most of you personally, and, I, and you've shared with me what God's doing in your life. You don't, it doesn't get shared across the aisle all the time because we don't like to talk about that. But I get the privilege of saying, wow, I know what the Lord's doing in this life. I've seen what the Lord's doing in that life. I've seen the change in this person. I've seen the growth in this family. I see what the God's doing there. It's unbelievable. 
That's the purpose of the church. If the purpose of the church is only for salvation and to bring people in, then the, then the Christians never mature to who they need to be to accomplish God's will in their life. Do you see the difference? We need to have both, bringing people in, but maturing. How do we mature? Teaching the word of God. That's why we do it the way we do, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, section by section, here a little, there a little. It's we're going to learn and we're going to grow in the things of the Lord together. That's how it works. And as we grow, the Spirit works and we begin growing together, edifying the entire body of Christ. Now let's turn back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's Romans 12. Write that right next to it. Verse 5, there are diverse differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Write Ephesians chapter 4 next to that. Verse 6, it says there are diversities, uh, energesio is the Greek word there, of activities, but in the same God who works all in all. You can write, that's right here, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, but the manifestations of the Spirit is given to each one, why? For the profit of all. The activities or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are found right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The word manifest, what does it mean? It means to make known. It means to make visible. If I was to take my Bible and I was to put it behind the pulpit here, is, is, is my Bible manifest to you? No, it's here. You can, I have a Bible, right? And you say, it, it, but can you see it? You can't. I just made it manifest to you. All it is simply is this, the Holy Spirit will make himself known in different ways in different people's lives throughout the course of their walk with the Lord. He's going to make himself known. That's what the word means. The Holy Spirit is with us, he's in us, he's upon us, and sometimes he makes himself known in different ways. He manifests himself. So Paul says, I want you to understand all these spiritual things, the gifts, the ministries, and even how the Spirit will make himself known in different people's lives. Now look at verse 8 with me. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, I would love to continue with this study, but we are fresh out of time for today. So we will have to pick up in verse 8 next week. But I want you to understand something. When people say gifts of the Spirit, their mind goes right away to tongues. What's he going to say about speaking in tongues? How's that going to happen? Is this going to get weird? What's he going to say? Listen, there's never anything weird about the Holy Spirit. It's very, very natural. It works in a very, very, and I like to, the best way I can describe it is naturally supernatural. It's just something the Lord does through his people. It's an amazing thing to see it, see it work uh, properly. It can be a laughing thing to see it work improperly. There are certain things that we're going to cover as we look into these verses 8 through 11 next week, and we're going to cover them in detail because I want you guys to understand the Holy Spirit is still at work within the people of God today. Still at work, and we're going to look at some of the objections that people would have to that next week. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your time in your word. And Lord, when it comes to these things, gifts of the Spirit, Lord, they can be confusing. They can be uncertain. But what's clear is Paul said to the church in Corinth, he doesn't want them to be ignorant. And I think you would say the same thing to us, Lord. We shouldn't be ignorant about the way the Holy Spirit operates. 
the way the Holy Spirit works, the way the Holy Spirit manifests himself, or the ministry is designed by the Holy Spirit. As we continue looking at these sections of Scripture next week, would you continue to give us understanding? Lord, we don't want to discount something as not being for today if, in fact, we needed to accomplish your will for our lives. But yet, like many of us, Lord, I've seen many of these quote-unquote gifts operating in a way that is completely unbiblical, operating in a way that doesn't bring you glory, but it, it brings confusion, it brings dissension, it brings division to the body of Christ. So, Lord, would you help us establish that biblical grounds, that biblical perspective in our lives and in our ministry? In Jesus' name, amen.